Only a crisis, actual or perceived, produces real change. When that crisis occurs, the actions that are taken depend upon the ideas that are lying around. That, I believe, is our basic function, to develop alternatives to existing policies to keep them alive and available until the politically impossible becomes the politically inevitable. Milton Friedman Welcome back for the final episode of the new Chicago Way podcast. Over the podcast, we've talked about city charters, we've talked about finances, we've talked about pensions, we've talked about corruption. And now, looking back, um, both on the book and on the podcast, we wanted to sort of review where we've been and then talk about where we're going, where we're going as a city and where you can make an impact, hopefully, uh, to change the future of the city for the better. Ed, can you sort of walk us through what your thoughts have been in interviewing all these folks? Sure. First of all, uh, thank you for listening to our podcast, and I hope you'll read the book. The book includes not only nine substantive chapters plus the final chapter that wraps things up, but it also includes a four-page abbreviated appendix that lists all of the specific suggestions that we have concluded in our analysis in the book. So if you read nothing else, spend five minutes on that Appendix A and you'll have your eyes opened and perhaps want to read the whole book. I'd like to just comment a little bit in conclusion about the book and about the podcast. The book talks about a lot of different things. It is reportage. It is There is no scientific way to prove that one governance structure is superior to another. That being said, there is the correlation, the strong correlation between positive outcomes in other cities that have more reformed governance structure and the city of Chicago. The book is also not a fire bell. It is not hailing yet another crisis. The book is really a factual analysis of the governance structure in the city of Chicago and why it consistently leads to poor outcomes. It's the outcomes that will lead to a crisis or may not lead to a crisis. So the difference in the governance is not of itself a crisis. There is not an immediate crisis in the city. As a matter of fact, if you look around the city, you see construction cranes and new buildings going up, new restaurants, new theaters. It is, for some people, becoming a much more desirable place to live and to enjoy yourself. But these successes are concentrated in a very small part of the city. And the problems pervade the city. They are citywide and they are growing rapidly. And as we point out in the book, successes often stumble. And they certainly have in Chicago. Chicago is on its way up right now, but it's had its ups and downs. The problems that we talk about seldom stumble. They do not lend themselves to resolving themselves on their own accord. By the same token, the changes that we recommend we feel are necessary for the proper functioning of government, but they in and of themselves are not going to solve Chicago's problems. 
The problems have to be solved by Chicagoans and by a city government that functions properly. This only establishes the infrastructure and the structure of a government that can solve these problems. Now, there's a difference between the book and the podcast, and I hope you will read the book. Uh, the book looks at specific problems and issues that Chicago has faced, and then it looks at the governance structure and how it led to those decisions. So it's much more focused on Chicago itself. The podcast uh, brings in experts not only from Chicago, but more importantly from around the United States who have worked on bigger picture views of governance. We look at charters and we invite people from New York and Los Angeles. We talk about policing and talk to the executive director of the police commission in Los Angeles. We have someone from the Blue Ribbon Panel on Pensions. That is a nationwide effort by the Society of Actuaries. And we interview somebody from the Government Financial Officers Association. All these people talk more about what is normative, what are the good practices for government, rather than what is happening in Chicago. So there, even though there is significant overlap, uh, the podcast is more the model of how we should operate. The book focuses a little bit more on how Chicago actually operates. And finally, just to look at the political theory behind the book. Uh, it is really American Civics 101. Uh, the theory behind the U.S. Constitution is that power should be distributed among different branches of government and in the, in the national case between the federal government, the states, and the cities. We take the same approach and we say that power should not be atomized uh, and we shouldn't have anarchy in Chicago, but power should be distributed to those who have the capabilities to make wise decisions so that you have checks and balances, you have deliberation, over decisions and you have democracy. You have voters and taxpayers that have a say in the governance of their city. Austin, maybe you can talk a little bit about how change comes about and what other people might do. Yeah, so the biggest question we've gotten just in talking to people we know and then doing events and speaking, um, people ask, which is a good sign, people don't say, you know, how much is the next plane ticket out of here? They say, what can I do to uh, affect some of this change. And the first goal, I think, in writing the book was putting out a vocabulary and a blueprint for if we could have everything overnight and you could do these structural changes, what would they be? Um, and sort of what are the most important ones? But effectuating that change, making kind of like the politically impossible, the politically inevitable, is a whole different conversation altogether. Uh, and what we've been saying pretty consistently is for instance, we talked about um, in our episode with Dick Simpson how, how few constituents each alderman in Chicago has. And actually, in this case, that's a benefit. Uh, your alderman, if he or she is not uh, under indictment currently, will take a meeting with you as a constituent, or one of their staff people will. And if you come to them with solutions about uh, 
the structure of city government, not ones that are partisan, not ones that are really hyper-local about the pothole down the street, and just simply ask them, what do other cities do? What can we learn from other cities that we can bring here to Chicago? What are your thoughts about this? Do you, as my city legislator, um, are you willing to take a stance on some of these issues? But aldermen aren't the only people who can move legislation. Their civic, civil society in general um, is filled with people who can uh, kind of have a multiplier effect. And when those people pressure city government, that's when things can really change. So if you're at a university, speak with your professors about this. Um, if you're in a union, talk to your union leadership. If you are uh, speaking with a reporter or you know, you sub you're a subscriber to the Tribune or sometimes or Block Club or any of these uh, Chicago media organizations, speak with them. Maybe consider writing uh, a letter to the editor. And of course, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to uh, Ed or I. But that's the first step. Can you have a conversation about structural reforms to city government rather than one-off policy changes that tend to dominate the news cycle? When you do this, you're likely to encounter um, one of, I believe, six mental models that we kind of outline in the last chapter of the book. Um, Ed, could you talk a little bit about kind of what is, what's a mental model and, and what do we think are some of the more pervasive uh, in Chicago when we talk about these ideas? Sure. Uh, a mental model is a way of looking at the world that we create to make our lives and, and our thinking easier. It isn't always correct. In most cases, it's incorrect. But people adopt mental models uh, in order to assimilate all of the information and all of the stimulus that comes to them. So when they look at Chicago city government, let's just go through some of these models and maybe you'll get an idea of what we're talking about. And the first is what we call the paradox of accountability. People think, oh, you should just have one big man, only one person we vote for, and we can always hold him accountable, him or her accountable, for the problems in the city. We point out that that's a paradox. Everybody finds something to gripe about with that person, but then they, they really may only have one or two beefs, and, and as a result, they, they give that office holder a pass because there are other things that they feel like they're doing satisfactorily. Whereas if you had power distributed, you could hold the people for the schools accountable or the police commission or other branches of government. Just as people did with Cook County State's attorney, Anita Alvarez, for example, is an example that we bring up a sure. lot. People had the opportunity to vote on an issue that they really cared about and an official that was directly responsible for that, and they took action and made change. Right. Another mental model that has developed in Chicago is that government is free. People think it's free. You can do whatever you want. Hire as many cops, have as many government programs as you want, and not raise taxes. All you have to do is borrow the money. You can borrow the money in the bond market, and you can borrow $43 billion from beneficiaries of the defined benefit pension plans. So there is a mental model that our government is free. We know deep down that it isn't, but it's hard to, to beat that mental model. And one of the most important reforms f for that reason, um, that mental model exists because people have never had to, law uh, officials have never had to make a case directly to the public as to why they were borrowing X amount of dollars or why they were raising X amount of taxes or fees because Chicagoans don't have a vote on any of these things. And whereas most major cities 
allow empower their citizens to vote um, up or down on tax and fee increases and on new debt. Chicago does not. So it makes sense because people never have direct directly have a voice on these things that they wouldn't consider the cost. Mm-hmm. Another mental model that has been practiced for decades, perhaps centuries in Chicago, is that the mayor gets the benefit of the doubt. If the mayor proposes something, then everybody gives that mayor the benefit of the doubt. The newspapers give it due consideration. The city council gives it deference. And uh, it is the rebuttable presumption that it is the wise thing to do. And we've seen in all of the examples in the book, blunder after blunder that has been initiated by the mayor. One mental model that's really closely correlated to that, and it's number four out of the six that we outline, is that any investment in development will yield a benefit. And that's, that's, a, that's a sentiment that's often given the benefit of the doubt, just like the mayor is given the benefit of the doubt, benefit of the doubt. And you'll see in op-ed pages and on TV often interviews with elected officials or certain interest groups where they'll make an appeal to Daniel Burnham's famous quote to make no small plans for Chicago. And that in itself is seen as sufficient evidence that um, because the plan is big, because it's an investment, there will be some benefit that is uh, commensurate with the cost. And as we've seen, especially in the chapter in the book, which we didn't get into in the podcast too much, in the case of something like McCormick Place, which is essentially has been, that rhetoric has been swirling around that complex for 60 years. And yet with every additional dollar that's put in, you know, it, bring, it brings back marginally less to the people of Chicago, but yet constant appeals to make investments in this because there is some benefit that we can see. We see people going to these conventions. We see jobs being created. That somehow that in itself is justification for the investment is a mental model we really need to get behind us. Just to conclude on that one mental model before I get to a companion mental model, likewise, uh, city leaders, especially the mayor, consistently use the word investment when really what they're talking about is spending. If they want to spend money, they don't say, I want to spend money on something. I want to make an investment. So beware when the leaders talk about an investment. A companion mental model is that any step in the right direction will eventually solve the city's problems. And so if a leader takes an action, no matter how small or inconsequential it may be, well, uh, he's making a step in the right direction so we can rest. We don't have to do anything more and the problem will eventually be solved. As we know, these, these efforts are not only trivial, but in many cases counterproductive and they make no more contribution to solving a problem than if nothing had been done. And the final mental model is that Chicago is exceptional. This is an umbrella mental model that combines all of the hubris and insularity and ignorance of people in Chicago to what is actually happening here in the city and what other cities are doing. And if you talk to anybody, whether they're in government or in civil society, they are not only reluctant but averse to looking at what other cities do they don't know what other, how other cities have solved their problems or that cities fare better than Chicago. So this is probably the most important of all of these mental models. 
And I think the most important, which we do talk about as well in the in the last chapter of the book, the most important thing about this is that a lot of people in Chicago only see the successes. It's a city of looming, massive challenges and some very visible successes. So if you're living in the loop or, you know, the near north side, you'll you're surrounded by constant reminders that everything is seemingly okay. But Ed, as you said, and we had wrote in the book, is that while successes often stumble, the problems seldom do. And that's why we think it's so important for people to have a blueprint, um, solutions in their hands to be able to speak with um, their friends, family, and their leaders about these ideas. So thank you, thank you, thank you very much to all of our guests. Thank you very much for listening. And you can visit us if you want to learn more at newchicagoway.com. Thanks for listening.